times before. Now, according to Unomics, it's a Joburg-based political and economic risk consultancy. It's saying the country is going to rank near the bottom of a table of more than 180 others in terms of security. And there, they say, we'll be a bit more like Nigeria and Ukraine. Uh, and if we are worried about prosperity, well, if you've been to Bangladesh or Ivory Coast in the last five years, you get a fairly good idea of what South Africa will look like by 2030. In their summation, there's a significant decline from where we are right now. And, you know, while you know we, we might fare better with welfare and governance than some countries, we're on a slippery slope, and it's a, it's a worrying slippery slope, and it's a slippery slope that can be arrested with some proper management and some proper controls and some proper prosecutions. Let's talk to Howell George, who is Director of Investments at the Old Mutual Investment Group. And you've published a piece this week in which you ask the question, is there any hope? And I think you come to the conclusion um, that there's not only hope to save South Africa, but there's actually hope for a fairly interesting turnaround. Um, hi, Bruce. Uh, yes, there is, I think, hope. Um, and having delved through the, the mire of a bleak um, current situation in South Africa, we actually do have, remarkably, a little bit of time to put in place what we need to put in place, partly because our debt structure in South Africa is so long-dated and it's local. Unlike Zimbabwe, for example, or Venezuela, we don't have um, too much dollar-based debt, um, and the local debt is held by... Um, uh, the local population, and that uh, is long-dated. So it doesn't need to be rolled over for 10 to 30 years. So that gives us a little bit of breathing space if we can find the political will. But, but this is the critical thing. And, I mean, we mustn't also go, well, we've got time, so it'll be okay. Actually, I mean, we'd, we, you know, once, if you've ever gone down the slippery slope, and I'm sure we all have in a torrent of rain, you know that once you start slipping and sliding, you are going to end up flat on your back, and you may injure yourself. And we're in danger of doing that. Undoubtedly. I mean, this is a, a high-risk situation, um, and it w- won't be an easy turnaround, clearly with COVID as well. I mean, that, that's absolutely knocked the economy onto its back. So it'll be a long way back. Um, however, we, we actually know what we need to do. We, we have a national development plan. where We've got a list of things to do. And if um, Cyril can, can step up to the plate, uh, and there are some early signs of him doing that, then, you know, it's an execution plan. It's not, not, not like we don't know what to do. Mm. And, you know, there are some economic kind of tailwinds coming through. Inflation is a lot lower than it was. That's an important point. And if we can somehow take advantage of low inflation and lower wages down to 2.5%, not 6.5%, that'll mean that we can regain our international competitiveness. The rand will stop going down. And we've all become a little bit richer in a global sense. It's true, because in the last five years, per person in South Africa, we have become poorer. Each and every single year, the rest of the world has become richer, and we've become poorer in real terms. Uh, I just look at some... You published so many interesting graphs in this note that you sent out today, and it's... uh, I I just look at the economic structure of South Africa. When you look at it the way you've laid it out, it's just patently obvious why we've got a problem, particularly when it comes to unemployment. Uh, And we've got a finance and real estate sector which makes up 23 percent of the economy and this is going more and more high tech and more and more specialized and you've got to start getting you know very very high falutin degrees to be able to break into the finance sector government services are at 17 percent of the economy and i mean we've got to see cutbacks in government services because we just spend far too much money the real labor intensive stuff the stuff where we can dig people out of poverty and help people to really get dignified long-term careers going in things like agriculture and construction and mining make up a tiny proportion of what you know underpins the south african economy and that's a crisis 
It is. And I'll give you just two statistics on this. I mean, the ease of doing business in South Africa is almost as bad as in Pakistan, according to the World Bank. Uh, and I can't think it's a very easy to do business in Pakistan. And secondly, public sector wages um, take up 51% of total tax revenue. So the 1.3 million people who work in government, I'm sure they do a very good job, but that takes up half the tax we pay. And that's kind of a scary stat. And, and it, the good thing is the Tito and Treasury is focused on that. And we do need a response on that. And we have the opportunity now with inflation being much lower. We have to grasp that. There is that. I mean, while the public sector wage bill is 51% of all taxes collected, um, the other half feels like it's going to pay the debt burden because that debt burden, public debt, um, is, is sitting at record highs. And even our interest bills, I think, what's sitting at 2 billion, is it 2 billion rand or 2 billion dollars? I, I lose focus uh, when it comes to currencies. But we pay far too much on a daily basis in servicing just the interest on our debts. We, we absolutely do. And interest payments make up 20% yeah. of budget revenue, which again is, is, is way too high. And, and the risk is that we get into, into a debt trap and you can't grow fast enough to get out of it. Um, so we do, we do need to take advantage of the fact that, as I say, the public debt load is very long dated. So we don't have to roll it for many, many years. It's one of the most, most long, long dated in the world, in fact. Um, so that's a big advantage. Uh, and that gives us just a, a, a little bit of breathing space. When we look at the own goals, uh, South Africa's national sports, I mean, if we went to the Olympics, if there was an Olympic category for shooting yourself in the foot, we would take, I think, gold, silver and bronze year in and year out because we're very good and incredibly accurate when we do both barrels into both feet. Um, and something like tourism's performance, and you publish a graph about tourism's performance and just how well tourism did uh, from 2005 all the way to the global financial crisis, tourism was actually doing fine. And then post-World Cup, we had a really nice spike and everything went really nicely until the madness, the madness of Maluski Gaba and the idiocy of the, of the child passport requirements and the stupidity of the documentation. I think I've made my position on this quite clear. Um, and tourism fell off a cliff. And it's such an important income generator and such an important creator of jobs. It, I mean, it's a real disaster. It is. And a couple of decades ago, tourism contributed um, about, a quarter of, uh, about a quarter of our GDP growth. It was extraordinary. Uh, and now it contributes precisely nothing. And it's a tragedy. And when, when you go to London or New York, um, you don't hear about the most beautiful country in the world. All you hear about is crime and corruption and the fact that Cape Town's run out of water. And people still ask me, has Cape Town got any water? <laughs> because you get the CNN headline saying it's, it's run out, but you don't get the CNN headline saying it's okay yeah. unless you've got a very effective tourism agency. And we don't. And the tourism agency, I mean, one of the big, the biggest budget cuts relative um, to the size of their budget, Department of Tourism, and the budget in February had its budget cut in half, um, simply because we were desperately clutching at straws for any finance we could get. So that wouldn't have helped them, I don't think. Exactly right. And it's an absolute tragedy. And when people actually visit here, they love it. But they're too scared to come because they're worried about the crime and all the other headlines you get overseas. It's an absolute tragedy for this country. But the point is that, we, you know, I mean, Michael Yordan, the former CEO of FNB, mm. um, regularly makes the point that growth is a choice. Recovery is a choice. So it's a series of choices and implementations. But it's a choice. This isn't rocket science. And that's what's so infernally frustrating. Uh, and Michael is spot on. As I said, it's an execution list. 
We, we simply need some capable people to get on with it. And we need some progress on bringing people to account as well. You know, of, of, the, of the estimated 1.5 trillion rand which Zuma took from this country over his 10-year rule, um, the people who were in that cabal, which are many, need to be brought to account and visibly brought to account in the public sector and the private sector, by the way. Absolutely. And it needs to be made an, made an example of, and, and then we can, you know, try and move on. Howell George, thank you, Director of Investments at the Old Mutual Investment Group. I mean, we are. We've got problems, real problems, but there are addressable problems, and that's... Oh, it gets so mad. And I just you just look at the graphs um, of tourism contributions over the years, and you just real and you look at the how it coincides with bonkers pol- policy decision making, idiocy, absolute idiocy, and the destruction that it brings. It's insane. 